0: I want to share a few thoughts with you that kind of lead us into, lead us into the book and lead us into chapter 1, which we're going to begin together tomorrow. So if we're looking at a book, we ought to talk about the author first. That, of course, was Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, although he had been a religious leader and teacher, in fact, uh, his pedigree was that of a leading Pharisee, he'd abandoned it all to follow Jesus after a life-changing encounter with the living Christ, whilst on his way to persecute followers of Christ in Damascus. Now, if you want to read around a little bit, then find your way into Acts chapter 9. In fact, you could read your way on through the book of Acts to meet Paul and read something of the experience that he had, because since he met Jesus in that way, this was now a man of radical faith. Well, he was a man of radical faith before, but a different kind. Since that time, he'd been prepared to risk his life for the sake of the gospel. As you read on through Acts, you'll see an occasion where he was actually left for dead after having been stoned. And more than once, if you read through his letters in the New Testament, he gives lists of the persecutions and the beatings and the imprisonments and the hunger, all the things that he suffered for the cause of Christ. He'd been imprisoned, of course, on several occasions. Most of his letters were written. Not from behind a desk in his nicely furnished study, but from the depths of a filthy dungeon. So everything that this man writes has been rooted in a life-changing encounter with, with God. Revelation that he's received directly from the Holy Spirit, anchored in a knowledge of the scriptures, which now have come to life in a whole new way for him. So this man is living his life, and he's writing this letter, very much aware of his calling. He uses the word set apart. He says, I've been set apart for the express purpose of communicating the gospel and carrying the message of Christ to Gentiles in particular. He was living it. He was proving it in his life and ministry, often paying a high price to follow through with his calling, ultimately, of course, to the point of his life being taken away from him in Rome, the very place that he's writing to at this time. So when you read the book of Romans, you're not just working your way through some religious rhetoric, you know, somebody's theory about God. This is the authentic gospel, the message of Jesus Christ and of God himself revealing his nature and his character and his purpose. Romans is unusual in that it was written to a church that he hadn't founded himself and never yet visited. But he is clearly aware of some of the main struggles that they're having there, and he addresses them directly in the letter. Clearly, there's been conflict between Jewish and Gentile believers. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, someone was asking me the other day what a Gentile is, we'll look into some of that stuff and work our way through it. But if basically, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And... Uh, Paul had that particular calling and anointing on his life to reach Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus. And of course, in Romans, in Rome itself, there was conflict between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he's seeking to address those issues in this letter. Most of all, he wants to clarify the core message of the gospel for which he's paid a high price in his life he's going to great lengths to ensure that the basis of our salvation is clearly understood to be through faith in christ and not by the works of the law now we'll unpack that some more in the weeks to come but i'm going to read if you've got a bible and you want to turn to it but i'm going to read just a few verses out of chapter one and i want to focus on two things before closing today So he identifies himself as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to pick up on verse 16, which is one of the sort of central verses of chapter 1, which you'll read this week. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So remember that word, believe, because that's so important in the message that Paul has for us. Three things I want to pull out from there and two things I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning. Um, If you like hanging things off of statements that all begin with the same letter, I like doing that because it helps me to give something to hinge things off. So three things. In verse one there, or it's verse two actually, the promise of the gospel. I think it's very important for us to be able to trace this message back into the Old Testament period and find that, as Nicky Gumbel tells us in the Alpha course, if you could sum up the Old Testament in one word, that word would be promise. Promise. You can see Jesus Christ all over the Old Testament. He's everywhere to be seen except in actual person, in flesh. And he arrives in the New Testament, the Old Testament having prepared the way. And so much of what's going on in the Old Testament is looking forward to his arrival. We have the blessing and the privilege of being able to look back to what's been accomplished. But, you know, sometimes we struggle between this whole question of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. There's grace in the Old Testament. And God is there reaching out to humanity. And several Old Testament characters will be mentioned. Abraham, of course, in particular. You'll meet him in chapter 4. So this is the promise fulfilled in Christ. The second is the power of the gospel. And, of course, Paul's own experience was testament to the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus. Look, folks, if your faith, if my faith, if all that does is give us some, something to sort of write on the census form when that comes round, and identify ourselves as Christian, then we need to give some serious thought to the substance of the faith that we have. It's designed to be life-changing. Yeah. And you and I cannot become followers of Jesus with faith in him and stay the same. It's impossible to follow him and stay the same. So let's open our hearts to all that he wants to change in us and through us. This gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now I'm spending a few minutes on the last of these three, which is his presentation of the gospel. Now, I want you to notice that he uses the phrase, the gospel of God. And I want to divide that into two. First of all, gospel means good news. We're all aware of that. So first of all, he's saying, this is good news about God. We heard a lot of bad news about God. He said, I've got some good news for you about God himself. And if there's one word that appears more than any other throughout this letter in comparison to other writings of Paul, it simply is the word God. He really is wanting us to get to know him. Secondly, God has some good news for you. So it's good news about God, and God has got some good news for you. Good news about God, and then God has a message. He's got some good news for you. That's his purpose that unfolds throughout this letter. Now, he's writing to Rome, which, of course, is the center of the Roman Empire, And in Rome, it was normal to believe in a whole array of different gods. The Caesar himself, of course, was widely considered to be a god. In fact, one of the titles that he took to himself was son of God. So you see, Paul is challenging that from the very beginning of his letter. If you think about it, if you were in Rome, you were a Roman, Jewish or Gentile, you'd understand that Paul was going straight to the core right from his opening letter. Words. Now, for the Romans, adding another god to their collection wasn't a problem at all. Each time they went and defeated a nation, they would add the gods of that nation to their collection. So the more gods, the merrier. The problem was, though, with Jews and now Christians, they claimed that their god was the god, the only god. Now, Isn't that a little bit reminiscent of the situation that we face today? Increasingly, we live in an age where it's okay to believe in all kinds of things, pick and mix. I'll have a little bit of Christianity from over here, and I'll have a bit of Buddhism from over there, and a bit of so-called philosophy from over there, and we'll mix it all up, and I'll, I'll create myself a God, a belief, a spirituality that suits me. I feel good about that when I've got something that suits me. We're still trying to make God fit us. And as you read through chapter 1, you'll see that right at the core and at the heart of what Paul is unfolding there is this problem, this issue that we have as human beings. And one of the greatest problems that we have in our culture today is mixture. Yeah. And this book is going to challenge that. One thing that we're told that I find very interesting is that the term atheist, which literally means without gods, was actually first used by the Romans to describe early Christians. That's where the word came from, because of the insistence of Christians to hold fast to this core belief of one God. So Paul underlines this, and he really wants you and I to know what God is really like. And he wants us to understand how humanity has become so confused about God. And therefore, about everything else. Because if you're confused about God, then it follows that everything else will be tainted by that belief or that mix of beliefs or unbeliefs or misbeliefs that you have. So this message will challenge your perspective on God himself and it sets the scene for the way that we view the world around us it affects the way we see ourselves as human beings has a lot to say about our relationship between God and man and he's calling us to know him as he is and to acknowledge him for who he really is and in the process in the process of seeking him find out who we really are we really have reversed it in so many ways. And I'm praying that as we read through, particularly chapter 1 to start with, that he's going to help us to get things round the right way. As they used to say, we've put the cart before the horse. So in this presentation of the gospel, Paul is not giving us the option of picking and choosing which parts we find the most appealing so that we can leave out the parts that seem more unpalatable. We live in a consumer generation, pick and mix, take what you like, leave what you don't. But I tell you what he's doing here is he's giving us the full package. He's giving us God as he is and revealing Christ to us. So one of the things that stands out for me, particularly in chapter one, as you read this week, is that the good news about God We don't have the choice of designing God to suit our requirements. We live in a designer age, don't we? How many of you got designer clothes on today? How many of you wore designer sunglasses when you were driving here today? Perhaps didn't need them this morning. I discovered you can even buy designer dog collars. And of course, there's even talk of designer babies now. But Paul's message is clear. A designer God is not on offer. We don't define him. He defines himself. He reveals himself by his spirit, ultimately through Christ, although he's done that through other ways as well, which we'll look at. So this letter contains good news about God. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to scrutinize what we believe about him. Father, that's our prayer. We want to know you as you are. We want the fullness. We want the whole picture, not just part, to unfold it to us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, secondly, as you read on into verse 2 and 3, we see that God has a message for us, and it's about his Son. And yes, this message is good news for us. It's amazingly good, but essentially, it's about him and the lengths that he was prepared to go in saving you and me. So this is a Christ-centered gospel. And it's only the Christ-centered gospel that is truly good news for us. And as we delve into this over the coming weeks, you may be tempted along the way to think, well, it's all a bit overstated, really. Is it all just, you know, is it really all that necessary to go so deep and for it to be sort of so... You know, some of it might feel a little bit heavy at times, but particularly as we're moving into chapter 1, I believe we think like that sometimes because we haven't appreciated just how lost we were, just how lost humanity is, just how far we have fallen. And so as you read and reread chapter 1, you will be confronted with the lostness and the fallenness, if there is such a word, of the whole of humanity. So no longer making up the rules as I go along, no longer designing God to suit my requirements, but honoring him for who he is, acknowledging his authority as creator and sustainer of life as we know it. And when you read on towards the end of chapter one, I just want to say this much this week, where we'll see a whole list of what we could call bad behavior which you might look at and think, well, there's the evidence of a humanity that has fallen far from God. But I also want you to look out for, as you read through chapter 1, the core issue is not bad behavior, but wrong believing. That unwillingness of humanity to acknowledge him for who he is and worship him for who he is and decide that we can manage quite nicely, thank you very much, without him, has led us into a downward spiral that's taken us so far down, we can hardly believe that our society today is prepared to accept as acceptable some of the things that it does, and that we live in a world where people are prepared to behave in such inhumane ways to one another, you can hardly credit what you're reading on the news and some of it being done in the name of a God. We live, as someone once said, in a mad, 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 mad world. Now, Paul isn't here as a prophet of doom. He's here to proclaim good news. But if you and I are going to be revived in truly appreciating just how good the good news is, then we need to be reminded just how bad the bad news is and there's a key to it i believe right in the middle of that chapter which we'll take a look at next week so paul is a man who in the words of the prophet jeremiah has the word has the message of god burning like a fire in his bones and this man doesn't really have a choice any longer He just has to, he just must proclaim, share this message with people everywhere he goes. And as you read chapter 1, you'll see he's saying to the Romans, I can't wait, I can't wait to come to you so that I can share the gospel with you and I can receive some fruit and some harvest there in Rome. And this is quite a long letter. So even when he gets through to chapter 15, one of the things I'd encourage you to do as we go through is earmark what for you are key verses. Key verses that help you to really grasp and understand what the gospel really is. And key verses that have spoken directly into your heart. And we find our way all the way through to chapter 15. And Paul, it's still burning in him. He's saying, I've run out of places around here. There's nowhere around here that I haven't shared the good news of the gospel. So I'm coming to you. You're next on my list. So who's next on your list? He's going to put a fire in you and a fire in me and a fire in our midst. If we will allow him to, the fire that's already there, he's going to fan the flames off. We're not going to sort of shy away from some of the difficult things that this book raises. But our focus is on Jesus on the gospel, on the message concerning his son, Jesus, and the life-changing, transforming power that it releases into our lives. So Paul's a man on a mission. And the verse I want to close with today is also found in the book of Romans. And you'll find it in uh, chapter 10, if you want to look it up later on. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, what is it that makes feet beautiful? The message, the news that those feet are carrying. When we read about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that we are getting onto our feet shoes of peace. Feet shod with the gospel of peace. We're carriers of a message that's life changing. We're carriers of a message that breaks down the walls of hostility between God and man, between man and man. We're called to be stewards of the most precious message that anyone has ever been called to carry to anywhere. So let's pray. Father, I ask that as we read, as we invest, and as we meditate, and as we invite your Holy Spirit to come and minister the truth to our hearts, you will wake us up afresh and new. You'll quicken us. You'll empower us. You'll put that fire into our bones. You'll fan the flame of your holy presence within each one of us. You'll change us. You'll take us deeper. So lead us through this time of investment into our own spiritual growth, which is going to overflow and touch the lives of many others. And we just thank you today that the gospel's good news about God. And I want to just worship you today, and I want to acknowledge you for who you are. We want to honor you as God and say thank you for this message concerning your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing the Father. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world and laying aside your glory and allowing yourself to be nailed to our cross and giving up your life so that we could be reunited with our Father.